Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Matthew Wilson, who's a partner of Allied Venture Partners, which is Canada's newest angel investor groups dedicated to diversifying Western Canada's funding ecosystem for technology entrepreneurs and investors. Matthew is an MBA from Jack Wills Management Institute. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, so uh, Matthew, how did you get your start in startups? And, uh, you know, you've been part of the Toronto startup ecosystem, but uh, what got you excited about uh, the, the, the world of startups? Yeah, uh, I, I spent about 10 years, uh, essentially spent all of my 20s in Toronto. Um, got my, my initial start was working in the CPG world for a couple of Fortune 500s. I worked various sales and marketing roles at Nestle. I worked at Coca-Cola. I spent some time in the agency world. And that ultimately led to my former business partner and I launching our own CPG startup. So uh, we grew and we scaled that for a number of years in Toronto and the GTA market. Um, in about 2012, we had an opportunity to exit and sell the business. And it was at that time, uh, things just kind of aligned and uh, my wife had got a really good job opportunity out West. So uh, we said, hey, let's move out West. And we, I packed my skis and away we went. And uh, essentially arriving in Calgary in, in 2012, there wasn't much of an of a ecosystem for startups at the time. Um, I was looking for a way to stay, in, uh, to stay connected to the local startup community. So uh, I discovered angel investing, but because there was such minimal activity at the time in terms of VCs and, and, and startups in Calgary, I chose to take my education outside. And instead, I focused on more established VC markets like Silicon Valley and New York and Chicago, uh, a little bit back in Toronto and Vancouver. So uh, essentially just joined every angel network and VC fund I could and, and tried to get in the room with as many talented and smart investors as possible. And and essentially just learned by doing and, and started writing small checks and my experience and knowledge just grew from there. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, what's more interesting is that your one of the first angel uh, investments were into Pinterest and Lyft. Um, how did you get the opportunity to you know invest into such high quality companies? Yeah, so uh, I was very fortunate to get into those companies uh, through a, a syndicate group that I'm a part of. Um, there was a, an interesting opportunity and it was it's funny because I hadn't even been a user of Pinterest. Uh, I knew about the company, I'd read about it, I checked out their website and, and did some diligence on them. But it wasn't really a, a product or a platform that appealed to me. And then I asked my wife one day, I said, hey, what, what do you think of this Pinterest? Uh, have you ever used it? Do you know anyone who uses it? And she said, absolutely. Um, every bride in the world essentially uses this platform to help plan their wedding. And and when I sort of dug a bit deeper into the numbers and realized, I said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Um, but my background prior to angel investing was in public markets. Uh, I started investing in public markets at age 14 through my father's brokerage account. So uh, I've always been a, a fan of investing and really passionate about investing in entrepreneurship. So when I started angel investing, I wanted ways to sort of minimize risk because if you're investing at the pre-seed stage, for example, it's very, very risky and it takes a long time to see to see a return on your investment. So I chose to focus more so on the mid and later stage end of the investing spectrum and uh, Pinterest and Lyft, for examples, were, were both at the Series B stage. So they were significantly de-risked. Uh, the companies already had really strong traction 
And uh, yeah, it was really it was really interesting to just sort of watch those experienced investors do the deal and then keep up with the company and see the updates over time. And then when they did eventually IPO, it was really exciting just to see those shares deposited into your your trading account one day. And then it, it was weird because for for so many years you couldn't sell this investment; it was a liquid. And now all of a sudden, with the click of a mouse and and a few dollars for commission, you could go sell it on the stock exchange. So it was really really interesting experience. But I, I definitely learned a lot. Interesting because you know Pinterest is one of the biggest growth drivers for my blog, and I wish I had the opportunity to invest in Pinterest. Then, uh, you know, uh, how do you think about your investment decision making? Uh, because you know, uh, as an angel investor, you would get you know thousands of deals a year, uh, and you would invest into 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 just some of them. Uh, what what is uh, uh, the investment decision you take, or do you do you look at a group thinking uh, you know investment process? Hmm. Um, for me, as an investor, I mean, now that I'm, now that I have more experience and I've done a lot more deals, I've done almost uh, 60 investments now. I've s- switched my focus back along the growth spectrum to to the early stage. So I'm now investing at pre-seed, seed, and, and Series A. So at that stage, I mean, it really does come down to the team and the individuals. Um, at the later stage, it's it's a lot more about the metrics and the traction. But in the in the early stage, because there's such little data to go on. You're really looking at the people uh, and trying to assess those people, and looking at the founders. And do they, you know, are they are they prior founders? Is this their first startup? Uh, do they have startup experience? Maybe working at a startup, or, or even better, a previous exit. Um, so looking for that founder market fit and the, the industry experience and that deep domain expertise, uh, and really asking yourself, are these the right people to do this? I mean, do they have the the ability to get this thing up and running and and start scaling it? Um, for me, I kind of look at sort of their background. It doesn't necessarily have to be in business, but I mean, what have they done uh, in their life? I mean, what type of ambition have they displayed? And that can be anything from, let's say, athletics to academics or whatever they've done throughout their life. And and really, I'm looking for highly motivated and driven people with a chip on their shoulder to succeed. Um, so, so that's the type of person that I'm looking for at the, at the early stages that we invest in now. And then also the other people that they've been able to surround themselves with. So in terms of the team and and even though it's still a very small team, small core team at the at such an early stage of the business, but what's the velocity at which they've been able to attract other talented people? So people who could probably go work at a Facebook or a Google and make three to five times more money and have job security and not worry that the company might be out of business in six months. But has that founder been able to convince these other very talented individuals to come on and join them on this mission and, and try and build this company? So for me, that's a really strong signal as well. Interesting, and you know, you uh, mentioned that you had a experience in CPG. But uh, what is your take on on the on the you know cost of acquisition of uh, of of a user's beat consumer social or D two C brands? Uh, are you concerned about uh, you know founders putting you know sixty to seventy percent off? Uh, their, their uh, you know, expenses into into investing into you know Google and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I look for in the beginning stages uh, is, I mean, it's it's really hard to, especially at the early stage. I mean, it's hard to focus a lot on unit economics because you're burning so much cash up front just to get that initial traction going. So, I mean, even the company is burning a lot up front, they're paying a high customer acquisition cost. Uh, maybe they haven't dialed in their lifetime value yet. 
Um, as long as they have sort of a path to profitability and they can show that, okay, this is our six, 12 and 14 month roadmap. This is where our acquisition costs are now. And, you know, even if it's weekly data, a couple of weeks of data, we can show that we've significantly been uh, consistently driving that down and we're honing in our marketing, we're making our sales process more efficient, and we're gradually reducing our customer acquisition costs over time. Uh, that's a really strong signal. And then on the flip side, I mean, gross margins is another great one. Are gross margins consistently growing over time? Are they becoming more efficient? And, and are really, are they dialing in those unit economics to the point where, you know, they will achieve that sustained profitability at some point down the road. And, and they are mindful of it and they are thinking of it that they want to achieve those goals, you know, whatever it is on the roadmap, 6, 12, 18 months out. Got it. And, and as an investor, or do you, do you pay attention to TAC to LTV in the, in the early days? Because uh, it's a, in, in just a years of operation, it's very difficult to figure out what it's going to be the TAC to LTV ratio. But, but do, you, do, you, uh, do you suggest to founders and do you also pay attention to TAC to LTV ratios? Yeah, absolutely. We want to see a good, strong CAC to LTV ratio. Um, we typically invest sort of at the seed stage. Uh, we look for companies that are post-product and post-revenue. So they typically do have, you know, three to six months of, of revenue data and sales data that we can look at. So uh, versus a pre-seed company that doesn't have the product in market yet. So even though it's really early days, uh, we do like to see sort of that initial CAC to LTV ratio. Uh, and then we can sort of assess, I mean, is there ever the possibility? Is, is it realistic that it will ever become profitable or is it just the acquisition costs just too high? I mean, if they're paying you know, $100 to acquire a customer and the lifetime value is is 10. I mean, it's just, it's too far. It's not even close, right? They're, they're never going to be able to dial that in and hone it in without a significant pivot or, or some type of change to their business. So uh, it's definitely a metric that we look at. And then, you know, the later the company is in their life, then we'll look at it more. So if it's a series A company, for example, then we have a lot more data. Maybe we have, you know, a year or two of data to look at and we can see how the company has, has dialed in that CAC to LTV over time. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something we look at. Uh, it just depends on sort of the stage and, and the growth stage of the company. Got it. And and what are your thoughts on reserve allocation when you when you look at investing in a company? Uh, do you do you look at uh, also allocating uh, a bit of a capital uh, into into reserve allocation? Just wanted to understand your thoughts on that. For sure. Uh, so part of our thesis is that we do we do ask for pro rata rights whenever we do make an investment. So uh, we believe that if we're investing in the company at such an early stage and we have belief and support for this founder, we want to be able to continue supporting them down the road. So um, maintaining funds uh, for follow on rounds is definitely something that we we tell all the members of our angel syndicate to do uh, because we're not a fund. We don't we don't have the capital ourselves, but we'll go out and we'll syndicate on a deal by deal basis. So, I mean, as a, as a personal angel investor, that's definitely something that I recommend to other new angels starting out. I mean, if you have, let's say you've set aside $500,000 from your overall net worth for angel investing, you know, don't go out and write five $100,000 checks. I mean, you want to write a lot of checks, smaller checks, and then maybe save 50% to that for follow on rounds. So you can double down and triple down on your, on your winners. And I think that's where the big money is made in angel investing is really starting to put more money behind those those horses that are starting to break away from the pack. So um, absolutely, you want to maintain, from a personal perspective, maintain some funds for follow-on rounds. Correct. Um, and, and, you know, uh, did, 
did this change during the time of COVID where, uh, you know, were investors doing reserve allocation during this time or, uh, or do you think it was different and how it had played out in the last seven years? Yeah, COVID, it's been her, certainly it's been an interesting year. I mean, I remember back in March 2020, everyone seemed to be scrambling for liquidity, both in public markets and private markets. Uh, and then you heard stories of VCs that were really, they really tightened up their checkbooks. They weren't writing new checks. They were essentially just triaging uh, existing portfolio companies. Uh, and it was difficult to see because there was a lot of really great companies out there that were trying to raise at that time. And it was it was just unfortunate, the bad timing, and, and some of them weren't able to finish their raise. But uh, personally, 2020 was my most active year as an angel investor. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about this on LinkedIn back in, I think it was March or April, that it was the best time this decade to invest in startup companies. And I truly believe that because if you look at history, I mean, we had some of the greatest companies that came out of out of uh, recessions and, and difficult economic times. I mean, look at how many great companies came out of the dot-com bubble and then the financial crisis in 2008. So I think five, five, six, seven years from now, we're going to look back and see a lot of really interesting companies that came out of this, you know, 2020, 2021 year. Um, as investors, I guess we, it, it kind of sucks for us because we have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait five years and see if we made good decisions and, and if, in fact, that was the case. But I think COVID has, it's weeded out a lot of the companies that maybe we're not going to make it. And it's really sort of emphasized those founders and those companies that, you know, have that resiliency and they were able to pivot and they were able to, to optimize and, and cut expenses and really keep the company alive and find ways to survive. And ultimately, those are the types of people you want to invest in. Got it. And uh, Matthew, uh, you're invested in more than 50, uh, 50 companies. In fact, you're invested in 58 companies as, a, as an angel investor. What are some of the biggest takeaways uh, which you can share with us uh, while investing? Because initially, when you start investing, the first one, or one, one to three years are exciting, but it does take time for the liquidity to happen. So any, any insights for listeners who want to understand uh, how to look at uh, such an uh, such a attractive uh, investment opportunity, which is angel investing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think angel investing, it's it has a bit of a bad reputation just because people seem to have this misconception that you have to write these really, really large checks. And I just, I don't think that's that's the case. Uh, it, it was probably the case, you know, 20, 30 years ago before we had platforms like AngelList, for example, or we were talking about Republic and some of these other platforms. But now you can you can start angel investing. I know on AngelList, there's a lot of deals you can do for as little as $1,000. So uh, go out and write a lot of checks and really take a portfolio approach. And, you know, even if that's writing, you know, $5,000 checks here and there uh, based on your net worth, however much you want to allocate and really build up that diversified portfolio of 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 investments. And I think once you get to that level, just looking at the statistics and the stats of angel investing, then you can start to expect, you know, three to 5% of those are going to start breaking out. You're going to see follow on rounds. You're going to see markups. Uh, you're going to see larger VCs stepping in in future rounds. And then you're going to start to eventually and hopefully see some of that liquidity and that cash on cash multiple come back to you. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, take the portfolio approach. Don't think you have to go out and write $100,000 checks. 
really aim for you know 20, 30, 40 investments, really build a diversified portfolio. And then going back to our point from earlier, keep some cash, keep some dry powder for those follow-on rounds because that's where the, the real money that I think is made. Um, don't just go out and make one investment and then let the company sit for five, six years and see how they do. If the company really starts to break out, you're going to want to put more money behind it. And then that comes back to investing alongside really strong leads that have been able to negotiate that that pro rata, for example, that allows the investors to to put more money behind behind their winning investments. Right. And, and Madhu, what, what is the light check size for uh, allied bench partners? How much are you looking at investing into into these startups going forward? Yeah, so our average check size is anywhere between 100 to 250,000. Uh, we could go higher. I mean, if we oversubscribe our allocation, we could go higher depending if the founder grants us an additional allocation. But uh, it's typically in that range where we play 100 to 250, and that's US dollars. Got it. And, and are you state, geography, and a sector agnostic? Yeah, so we are industry agnostic, although we do tend to shy away from things like med tech and biotech. It's just not my area of expertise. Uh, there's also very high regulatory barriers, and it really takes a lot of upfront capital before you can ever really get to market. Uh, I mean, biotech, for example, you have all these FDA approvals you have to go through. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we're relatively industry agnostic. Uh, in terms of geography, we invest across North America right now. Uh, so companies based in the US or Canada, and we are just starting to look at companies as well in both the UK, we're starting to look at Australia as well as Hong Kong and Singapore. So Asia Pacific as well. So, I mean, if there's any founders out there listening, please visit our website and, and get in touch with us. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been seeing a lot of micro VCs and angel funds, and especially with uh, Angel is doing a great job with uh, building up, uh, you know, rolling funds and, a lot of angel funds have come up. Uh, do you think we're going to see a lot more of these angel funds or a lot more of consolidation is going to happen in, in the near future? Yeah, it's interesting. I think since COVID started, uh, we've seen, it seems to have been an explosion in, in deal flow. I mean, there's so many deals on the Angelus platform right now, for example. And, you know, there's a lot of capital out there floating around. We've seen so much government stimulus go into the markets and people want to invest. But I think it is, I think it's great. The more capital, the better for startups. I mean, micro VCs, we're seeing some micro VC funds of like, you know, five to $10 million, very small funds. It's great for founders. On the angel investor, if you're an investor side of things, I think you do have to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit more thorough when you're vetting deals because there are a lot of deals out there right now. Um, and really you wanna take a quality over quantity approach. Uh, so depending on who you're investing with, I know there's a lot of deals out there um, and it's so easy nowadays to, to invest. I mean, with the click of a mouse, you can invest in a company and it can be a, you know, a very persuasive deal memo. And it's a product or a service that you're really passionate about. But is it really a great investment? I mean, that's that's up to the individual to decide. But I think there's a lot of a lot of activity out there right now. There's a lot of deal flow. And from an investor's perspective, I think people just need to be a little more diligent because uh, I think the quality, the overall quality of deals has maybe gone down a bit just because there's so much capital in the market. We're seeing a lot more deals get funded. And, you know, what, what can founders do to keep their angels actively engaged? Because, uh, you know, a founder's job is to keep raising money and get the get the best of talent and also keep the uh, uh, keep the vision aligned. But uh, uh, 
you know, what are, what are some of your takeaways on what should founders do to keep their angels and maybe VCs actively engaged? Mm, so, yeah, one thing that we look for part of our thesis is to get regular updates from founders. I mean, ideally, monthly updates would be great, but if it's quarterly, that's fine as well. So definitely maintain those lines of communication with investors. I mean, if they're on the cap table, it doesn't matter how big or small. I mean, they've invested in that company. So I believe that the founder should keep them updated on their investment. And then, I mean, from us, us, for example, we're an angel syndicate. So we have uh, 240 members right now in our syndicate. And they're all from various backgrounds and experiences, whether it's entrepreneurs, VCs, investors, and they're all over the world. So we try and leverage the power of our network as a syndicate. So if you're a founder and you're going through a tough time right now, reach out to you know your investors and ask them, hey, listen, I need help with sales or marketing or, or HR, IT. And nine times out of 10, you know, there will be an investor who has experience in that domain. They've gone through that same issue, or maybe they know someone who has, and then they can jump on a quick 30-minute Zoom call and, and hash things out and talk with the founder and really help provide that support for founders. So if you're a founder, definitely you want to leverage that investor network, leverage their knowledge and their abilities and their connections. Uh, if they can introduce you to new customers or new investors, that's great. Uh, but definitely just keep the lines of communication open, keep them in the loop. Don't just take the money and then and then run off and they never hear from you. Try and keep them involved and then do reach out anytime you need help because they have a vested interest in seeing you succeed. So why not leverage that network and that knowledge? Right, and uh, you know, since you've been an angel investor, uh, you know, how does one measure the true value of an angel? Uh, some lot of times, you know, uh, you you invest into company. Uh, the best you can do uh, is you know maybe get them on the podcast. Uh, that's what I've been trying to do uh, for 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 some time. But uh, but in what other ways can you know, as an angel investor, you can really add value uh, to a founder? Hmm. Yeah. So for me, I mean, every every angel investment that I've done privately prior to launching the syndicate, I've always it's usually been either through a syndicate. I've done a couple direct investments, but it's usually been either through a syndicate or a fund. And every time I'll reach out to the founder, whether by email or through LinkedIn, and I'll just shoot them a quick note and say, hey, listen, this is my background. These are my areas of expertise. If you ever need help or you need me to, to review something, I'm always happy to help out and jump on a call and and provide my feedback, or even if you just need someone to take a second look at things. So if you're if you're an angel and you're looking to provide value, I mean, you should be able to reach out to the founder, no problem, uh, and, and just tell them what your areas of expertise are and provide that support. And, and maybe sometimes it's just someone to, to talk with and, and have a listening ear to help them if they're going through a tough time, either as, as the founder or as an individual. So just provide that support, make introductions. Maybe you can introduce them to new customers. Um, uh, you know, if you can share it on your social media, if they have product updates, or you can tell your other friends to, to sign up for this product or use this product, just become an evangelist and a supporter and, and really try and promote the company because ultimately you've invested in that company and you want to see them succeed. So just try and provide as much value as possible beyond the initial capital. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, when you look at investments, uh, uh, investing in a startup, you look at uh, the market, uh, the team, and, and the idea. But now, how do you, how do you think about uh, an SS market market timing uh, and, and the market size? Uh, do you think it's 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 important evaluation at an early stage, or do you look at the team uh, as the more important uh, criteria for investing in startup? 
Yeah, I think at the early stage, it's a lot more about the team because, I mean, you can have a, a, a mediocre team with a great idea and they, they can totally screw it up. Um, in terms of the market size, I know specifically for us, our thesis, we're looking at, you know, venture scale companies. So companies that can uh, realistically reach uh, $100 million in annual revenue within five to seven years and achieve a billion dollar plus valuation. So for us, we're looking at, it's gotta be a, a large enough market where they can become venture scale and it is reasonable for them to become venture scale. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very much about the team at the early stages. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we'll look at the initial founder, their domain expertise, and then we'll look at sort of the team and the, the other talent that they've been able to attract and, and place around them. And then we'll look at some of the larger macro trends, like is the overall target market expanding or contracting? Um, if you're a brick and mortar retail store, for example, you know, the overall market is contracting. So maybe that's not a vertical in which we want to invest. But, you know, if it's something like fintech, uh, it, the market is drastically expanding, right? So that's something that we want to be a part of. And then, you know, we'll look at some other financial metrics. We'll get into more of the tactical stuff like initial traction and, and paying customers and what customers are saying. I mean, I should be able to to look you up if you're a software company, for example, on a site like Captera or Google Reviews and, and just see what people are saying and, and get a feel for that product stickiness and that product market fit. I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives Increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And then, even you know, if you're a really early company that's only been around for maybe two months, I mean, break it down by week, and if we can see some interesting initial week-over-week -week growth whether that's revenue, users, signups, or, or whatever, that's definitely something that we want to see. And, and that's a good good early indication of, of success. Um, and then, yeah, we can always dive a bit deeper if it's a bit of a, a, the company has some more months of data behind them, like looking at gross margins, uh, CAC, like we talked about earlier, and whether or not they've been honing their sales and marketing processes. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, but they should have some type of roadmap uh, for the, the use of funds in their current round. So what are they going to do with these funds? What are the strategic positions that they're looking to fill? And, and do they know where they need to be six and 12 months from now to get to that next round of financing? So um, yeah, there's, depending on the business, there's, there's lots of different metrics we can look at, but it really starts with the team and then sort of the macro, you know, overall uh, total addressable market, for example, and, and realistically, can they capture a significant piece of that? Got it. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, when you started off, you, uh, you're looking at a later stage deals, but uh, now you're looking at early stage. Uh, but, but do you think early stage is the most inefficient segment of the venture uh, landscape? Because uh, I see a lot of, uh, you know, angel funds focusing on early stage. Uh, wanted to understand your thoughts on that. Yeah, I personally like early stage. Just, I mean, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I started my first business at age 11, so I mean, I'm an entrepreneur first and investor second. So for me, I just love you know getting into the weeds with companies at the very early stages. You know, building those initial product iterations and and getting those first customers and making that first sale. I mean, there's really no greater thrill in the world uh, for me. You know, I remember my first sale with our company in Toronto and. You know, I was driving home and I got the call and, and it was just an absolutely exciting and exhilarating experience. So uh, for me, I like to focus at the early stage. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of, like you said, micro funds and, and smaller investors that are 
at the earlier stage nowadays. But I mean, there's lots of deal flow out there. So it's not like it's crowded. Um, it, it just comes down to, you know, if you're an investor investing alongside some of the better, the better investors that have those track records, because even though there's a lot of activity in the market right now, uh, every, not in every investor is created equal. And if you look at sort of the distribution of the best uh, VC funds or angel funds over time, and really there's only about, it's like the top 10 to 20% that have produced about 80% of the gains overall. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's great for founders because there's a lot of capital out there, but if you're an investor, it's definitely worth looking into the track records of the people that you're investing alongside. Got it. And uh, I'm, I'm actually before the call, uh, I talked about uh, Jason Calican as you've been, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a scout for for the incubator. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who want to learn about angel investing. Uh, are there any books or courses or people whom you suggest uh, they should look at uh, before, you know, they start investing into, into such an attractive asset? Yeah, uh, Jason's book is absolutely fantastic. His book, Angel, I highly recommend that. Uh, a lot of people reach out to me uh, for advice about getting started angel investing. And I always recommend Angel, Jason's book. And then I also recommend uh, Venture Deals by Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson. Those are great places to start. Uh, Jason also has the Angel podcast, which is great, um, as well as the Angel University course that he's running now. So I think those are great, great places to start. And then for myself, uh, I just wanted to to get more experience. So I started reaching out to various syndicate leads and VCs in funds that I was uh, an LP with. And I told them, I said, hey, listen, I, 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 get, I see a lot of deal flow myself. I get a lot of founders that reach out. I go to demo days. Can I start writing deal memos and sending them your way and referring deal flow? And because ultimately deal flow is the holy grail of this whole business. I mean, if it wasn't for deal flow, no VC fund would exist. So I mean, I don't know a VC in the world that would turn down free deal flow. So just go out and start meeting with founders and writing deal memos and make those introductions. And that's what I started doing. I was a member of Jason's syndicate and a member of his fund. And I just started meeting with companies and writing deal memos and sending them his way. And he would look at them. And then it was great for me, a great learning experience, because he would then provide feedback and tell me, okay, well, I like this, but I don't like that. And this is what we're looking for. So it really sort of give me more insight into what these top tier really experienced investors are looking for. And then I could structure my deal memos accordingly and, and as well as my scouting process as well. So um, yeah, it, it's it's been an exciting journey, but that's definitely one of the ways once you sort of have that initial initial understanding after reading the books and doing some of the courses, then just start providing value to to people in the ecosystem and and writing deal memos, making connections and and trying to help founders connect with uh, with VCs and, and angels. So um, that would be the best way to get started, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely right. I think providing value and writing those deal memos are the best way to learn about angel investing. Uh, so uh, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, so it's, it's kind of, there's two for me. Uh, so first of all, I would recommend Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Uh, it really, you know, it'll help you cut the noise and focus on what's truly essential. Cause I think, especially now in such a digital age, there's so much noise out there and we're constantly being distracted and pulled in every different direction. So, uh, definitely essentialism by Greg McEwen, that one will change your life. And then I have to give a shout out to my, uh, former mentor and teacher of mine, Jack Welch, uh, his book winning. Um, it's just, I mean, he's one of the greatest CEOs of all time and it's so practical. There's so many great timeless nuggets of advice in there. I highly recommend that book to anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur, an investor, or just anyone, you know, you're working at a large company yourself. It's just such a great book. 
Correct. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started investing, you know, uh, seven, eight years back, what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Yeah. So when I first started, like I mentioned, I, I started more at the growth end of the, the investing stage. And at that time, I was writing much larger checks. Uh, so I would probably go back and tell myself, you know, you don't need to write such large checks, you know, tone it down a bit. Don't write so many larger checks, uh, write smaller checks and just sort of build that experience that way. Um, because I did sort of focus on the mid and later stage end of the growth spectrum. Um, I was able to de-risk quite a bit. So I'm thankful that, you know, I didn't, I didn't lose a ton of money up front or anything like that. Um, I do know a lot of angels that have written, you know, their first few checks and they've lost all of them. And, and that's just a terrible, terrible experience. And it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. But yeah, for me, I would say just go back to building that portfolio approach, start small, you know, go to a website like AngelList and, and write, uh, you know, 20 or 30, $1,000 checks and, and then just see how it goes and read the deal memos from there. Correct. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Zoom. Uh, I, I love just the the ease at which and the quality. I mean, the sound quality. I mean, we're on opposite sides of the world, and it sounds like we're we're right at the same table together talking to each other. And then also uh, a service that I use. It's kind of like Calendly, Calendly, but it's called Book Like a Boss. So basically, auto scheduling for meetings and stuff. It links right into your calendar. That's been absolutely uh, fantastic throughout this pandemic. All right. And um, about what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Allied Venture Partners? Yeah. So check out our website, allied.vc as well. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in uh, Matthew Wilson and it should pop up. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message. And then if you are a, a startup and you'd like to apply for, for funding, definitely visit our website, allied.vc and click the apply button. Uh, and if you're an investor, uh, you feel free to join our syndicate. We're looking for new investors as well. Uh, the links to join the syndicate are on the website as well, allied.vc. Um, and we run everything through AngelList. So uh, it's a very, very popular, world-renowned platform. Everyone's familiar with AngelList. Right. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking out and uh, uh, taking our time speaking to us. We'll, we'll put that uh, uh, about Allied Venture Partners on, on a show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.